This time of the Carbuckle Chronicle, we're back at it again with more of Realm Reborn Dungeons. Welcome to the Carbuncle Chronicle, your podcast for everything awesome in Final Fantasy XIV. Hi, I'm Basil, and I'm Maine, a sweet Lollafell sorcerer named 4K Rides K. A sorcerer? Oh, right, summoner. I'm Maine, a summoner. <laughs> it's been a minute since we've done this podcast. Hi, I'm Anna, and I'm Maine, a Lollafell bard dancer tank. Called Cormieritis K. I'm Douglas. I main a character called Umito de la Lune, who is the fanciest cat boy lad. And he's a white mage or a black mage, depending on how I'm feeling at the moment. Hi, I'm Dylan. I main an Elizan white mage named Aldrich Greywind. And you can find us on Leviathan, the free company of Odin Spear, or in your favorite podcatcher of choice, as this is a podcast. Also, you know, it's general, please find us on iTunes for the awesome cast. Please give us all the fives and the stars, because that's how people find podcasts. Well, I guess it's Apple Podcasts at this point, but whatever, it's still iTunes. So, before we took an inadvertent break, but everything is cool right now, so great, wonderful, glad everyone can make it. Uh, We were talking about uh, the dungeons... And we first covered the first set of the uh, patch 2.0 dungeons of A Realm of Born, which started with, you know, the S- Anna, S-word? Uh, S- Sestasha? That's it. S- I can never say it correctly. You say Sestasha. Sestasha. So that all the way to M de Porkeep. So now we have now gone into what I remember being... Uh, so from now on, these are all dungeons that happened after patch 2.0 up until the introduction of 3.0 that was Heaven's Ward. And so this is the first dungeon that we, I know at least myself, Doug, and Anna experienced as a level 50 dungeon that made us hate it, which was Pharos Sirius. Oh my god, I almost quit the game. This yeah, wa- this this dungeon's still really annoying. Oh, I almost quit the game. Like, you don't understand. Like, I, I was I was a fresh level 50 white mage healer at a time when the white mages were technically underpowered. Like, it's the only time in the history of the game that the white mage was underpowered was at this specific time when Pharisirus was the end game. And oh my I'll be god, honest. I, I I'll almost be honest. quit. I forget that this dungeon existed. Until Blue Mage came out, because then everyone was running it to get Song of Torment at the end. And that's when I went, oh yeah, this is a dungeon. I don't remember how to do this dungeon at all. I actually forgot it for a different reason, which was because I came in, I think a little before Heaven's Word. So I remember like running across this quest by accident and then just letting it sit and then coming back to it later. So by the time I ran it, I was running with people who knew what the tricks were. Oh my god. Uh-huh. So, Pharisees is the first real heal check. It's the first time it goes, so, do you actually know how to heal? And wants you to do nothing but heal. And up until this point, I thought I could heal pretty well. But also, let's face it, by the time we were done, you could. You could <laughs> by the time heal we, real yes. well. <laughs> Yes, by the time we were done, I absolutely could. <laughs> so, yes, this was a level 50 dungeon. I believe it's one of the uh, few uh, optional dungeons. You did have the quest, which was, of course, called Serious Business, with the fine in-game description, which was much more serious, where it said, 
The once proud Ferris Sirius is twice dishonored, once by the Calamity and now by the deadly Siren of Umbra, who plots to hold the lighthouse as a personal stronghold with the aid of her minions. Silence her lunatic song, dispatch the usual suspects, Ashkin and winged monstrosities, and reclaim the light of the civilized world, only for it to still get gummed up in a later patch, which was a much easier dungeon. Yeah, I definitely preferred the hard version. (laughs) Totally. Well, this was, I think, also, you know, this is one of the first dungeons they had to figure out after they made this game. This was the first dungeon introduced in patch 2.1. The other one being a different kind of dungeon, which was Copper Bell Mines Hard, from the required quest of Out of Sight, Out of Mine. And it said, Huzzah! Back to the mines! Adventurers have cleared Copperbell Mines of Hectonicares. Or have they? A band of engineers from the Malgian Sons have gone missing in the deep shaft. Cut off mid-knock. On schedule. Help. Help. Uh, uh, more thorough adventurers needed to mop up the enduring giants. If pickaxes are going to ring again underground and the gill to flow overground. I really liked this particular dungeon. And I think this is the first introduction of the idea of a hard, quote-unquote, version of a dungeon, which is more of a remix where they take an existing dungeon and redo it. And what I thought was really neat about it was that they clearly took the idea of, you've done this dungeon before, here's the storyline reason for it, so now we're going to change the dungeon to match the storyline we've given as an excuse to go back to go back here. And that's one thing I really enjoyed with most of the ARR hard dungeons. They the in the original dungeons you see other doorways and other paths that you could possibly take, but they were always closed off. And I like how they take the hard versions and open them up. Like you don't go the normal way you did before. You go through these new tunnels and new doorways that you get to see these different areas and i really liked how they did that well i think even yoshi p has made the statement during various live letters and interviews and and things that the the whole concept of of remastering the dungeons doing like the hard mode was sort of an opportunity for the developers to sort of reuse those assets because they would make all these assets for just one specific dungeon and then they'd never touch it again but by doing it with these hard mode with, with the hard mode they could uh they could retune and reuse those assets again. So it really helped them on development while still providing good content for the players. But they didn't also, they also did not rest on their laurels. They also, I mean, for example, Copperbell Mines Hard, uh, light starts filtering in from like the ceilings from places. It's a, it's a much brighter dungeon than it was before because the idea was that the mine was opened back up. It wasn't closed off again when you first did Copperbell. And so I thought that it was a really, really... And they also liked the different kind of bosses you would find. Like in this one, you had those uh, those uh, cart mine tracks, those cart tracks, and the boss who was constantly coming at you. And you had to keep moving backwards and backwards as he was setting more and more of the tracks on fire. And I, I was going to say, I don't even really remember this one because, I, again, I feel like a lot of the hard dungeons, I just never got around to doing or like did once and they they never really have come up in roulettes that much. That actually got me too, but not with this one. I, I think this one with a couple of moments hard, I think it really left an impression on me when I did it because of how different it was, even though it's theoretically using a lot of the same polygon models, just because how they lit it differently and whatnot. But the one that I, I personally have constantly forgotten about was actually Hawk Manor Hard, the next one they introduced also in patch 2.1, because this was the salad days of dungeons where we got three dungeons every patch. And that had to be why they gave us hard mode dungeons, because three dungeons every patch seems just absolutely insane yeah. now. One of them was new material, and then the two of them two of them were hard modes basically what i said about before about going back and sort of remastering and reusing the old assets and hawk manor hard was just the master of 
reusing its old assets. Like, it's the same dungeon, it's the same objects all around, but just the way it's been laid out makes it feel so much better, cooler. I don't know. It it was awesome. It was the best one of this bunch. Yeah, was... I recently got this one in a 50 roulette with one with my tank and I I've it's I've gotten in there a couple of times lately and this one still I was with a bunch of newer people and I had to explain to them as we went along. Okay. Here's where like they left me at one point. I was like, "Where did you guys go?" and they're like, "Sorry, we went the wrong way." <laughs> <laughs> like you still get lost like it's still it, it's so much fun though because this one in particular there's not as many optional doors as the regular hawk manor but you still have to do the whole get a key open the door to keep going and i thought it's it i really love both of the hawk manors uh, also did you save did you save the wood whalers i think so well it's something that we almost don't think about when we play it these days because we're so overpowered compared to how it was originally designed that most people can go in and save the wood whalers without even thinking about it but uh when it first came out it was actually really hard to save those wood whalers they tended to die before you could get to them oh yeah 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 i think that was something they did i think because it was that that same sort of mechanic with it um brayflock's hard Mm -hmm. because you had to save the goblins in that one too yeah it mattered less it mattered less in um in Hawk Manor. Like if you don't save them, nothing really happens. But it was still neat to try. And it also brings into the whole thing from as I from the in-game description is scarred by the calamity and warped by vanity. I, I like the rhyming. The Lady of House Dartancourt had made a bargain with the Void Scent and lost her soul, as is so often the case with such sketchy arrangements. Now her manor house is a lair to all manner of dark beings, and the elite band of wood whalers sent to purge them has failed to report back. A second try is now in the works. And I love how the required quest is also Maniac Manor. And this, the final boss here is still really kind of tough, especially for the DPS check, because for that one, ads pop up, and in the normal Hawk Manor, most people nowadays ignore them, focus on the boss, and just go. That this for hard mode, you have to kill the ads because as you go, if you leave them, she absorbs them, and then will take whatever HP they have from you. And so we wipe. Still, like I, I was with a group that wiped a couple of times. I was like, the ads gotta die quick, and so I started having to mark them because they were like, oh crap, this is like a legit DPS check. And it's it's fun, but yeah, it's it was still very difficult. So our next set of dungeons uh, are the ones that were introduced in patch 2.2. And I especially wanted to make sure Doug got onto this particular podcast because the first one of this set from the required quest, One Night in Ampador, is the Lost City of Ampador. Oh, I love the Lost City of Ampador. Oh, I love it so much. I know most people hate this dungeon, but I love this dungeon. Yeah, and, I'm in the... I've never been an Amdapur keep. Like, I've never been an Amdapur fan. I don't know why. Like, both this one and the hard mode. I don't think I like the aesthetic. What's what's not to love about the aesthetic? It's it's this beautiful, sullen, like, heartbreaking sadness. I think that's what I don't like about it. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the gremlins. So... Well, all right, first off, the end of the description is, Born in magic, the ancient city of Ampador lived in splendor and died in agony. As the fifth astral era gave way to the sixth umbral, in the ensuing catastrophe, the agent of Ampador's destruction slept. Now the seal that has held so long is softening like wind-fallen fruit, and what, bi- what blind worms writhe underneath the skin of the dead city. Or... I guess it should be, what blind worms writhe underneath the skin of the dead city? So, you remember how I said uh, the Pharisiris was was a heel check? The lost city of Amador, uh, uh, of Amidpore is also a little bit of a heel check. It's not as bad of a heel check, but it is a little bit of a heel check. And at the time... I had learned how to heal so badass that it was just like a cakewalk for me. I also learned how to actually do the doors in the final boss. 
uh, a lot of people these days don't know how to do the doors, but at the time, it was of vital importance that the healer learn how to do the doors because the DPS and the tanks were all going to be too busy dealing actual damage to the to the boss to worry about the door. And if you did the doors right, you didn't have to worry too much about healing. I forgot about that because I remember Well, if we now, ever were doing that dungeon, we said we're bringing Umi. These days, uh, these days, uh, you don't even have to do it because, again, we're so overgeared that you can just sit there and everybody can DPS him and then he does his big attack and that's like the one time the healer has to heal everybody back up to full and it, you don't have to even do the mechanic. But in the day, it was of vital importance that you did the mechanic and I could do it. And so I loved this one. Yeah, I, re I only remember doing this a few times and again, I, I came in way, af way after it launched. And I can remember the doors like that's that's <laughs> all I really remember about hearing, you know, talking about this boss fight. And I was worried like, oh, crap, I do not know how to do this. And like you said, like we just ignored it and we were fine. Yeah. The other mechanic that there's another mechanic in this dungeon specifically that a lot of people have problems with, and that is that the tank has to go and kill. Uh, it's I think it's the second boss fight. Uh, yeah, second the ad. Yeah, the second boss fight. There's constantly this ad spawning, and the reason this ad is constantly there is because the tank has to go kill this ad, and then when the when the ad dies, it releases an a it re releases a an area of effect that puts a dot on you and the boss goes after the dot. Right, because if if the dot's not up, the boss is high enough you can't reach it. Yeah. So that's why you have to have it is so that the boss will come down for you to attack it. Because I think the idea is that your the tank is now covered in the scent of the fallen ad so the boss is trying to attack the tank and uh, to because of that scent. Yeah. So it's actually kind of a neat way of taking game mechanics but also, you know, having, like, a reason for the mechanics. Yeah, th so this whole dungeon was just, like, an experimentation in, in new and awesome game mechanics, and I loved it. In addition to, like, the atmosphere just being so... so beautiful and so heartbreaking. I just loved it. Well, and it also is the big introduction of what has been a summon in other Final Fantasies, but this one is a reoccurring boss of Diablos. Yes. Which becomes more and more important as the game, uh, and optional content as the game goes on, because it also, he is also the big bad in the next major raid series. Well, it also is where we introduce a concept that you know, ended up getting its whole, getting a whole patch getting a whole expansion dedicated to it. Um, the Lost City of Amapur is where we first get the introduction that, you know, completely giving over to light is also a bad thing. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Oh, I and... mean, I think that, and that's, that's why they, you know, we, in the trailer for that, for the expansion, you see the gremlin, and the first thing everyone thought is, oh god, we're going back to Amapur. <laughs> <laughs> so, the next dungeon isn't quite as important. <laughs> it's just, it's just, uh, Halatali Hard. Uh, this time's for fun. It was the required quest. And it's Halatali. The very name turns some spines to water and others to steel. Lurid, Mike, lurid marks of the recent lawlessness yet remain. But the daily, the drudges conquer halls slick with ichor and doorways festooned with things not for gentle eyes. No less deadly for its newly restored order, the fabled training grounds yearn for new blood, perhaps to brighten the freshly scrubbed walls of its vast chambers. Because the whole idea of Halitali was it was supposed to uh, train all the various um, Uldalians in the fine arts of combat. And so I think they, if they've got a new training regiment and they need you and your stalwart band of adventurers to go through and make sure it, it's still good. Oh yeah, this is the one where you go through and like fight kind of yeah, gladiator it's... style. Yeah, it's yeah like I definitely preferred I definitely preferred this one to the original because I like the whole Coliseum sort of aspect and I like that I guess sort of 
you know, reminds me of Final Fantasy VII where you you do the tournament. Like you essentially, that's how it felt. Was you you were doing sort of a tournament to get through the dungeon. Mm-hmm. I also like how it sort of felt kind of down to earth for this dungeon because at the end of the day, your final things you're fighting other adventurers that they've hired to honestly compete against you to see how well y'all fight against each other. And I think then the last guy comes in, I think he brings like a mind flayer or something. And then the mind flayer screws everything up. They're like, Oh God, we, we shouldn't have done this. Uh, kill the mind flayer. Yeah. It's pretty cool. And, and then the next one up after that was actually another important one, uh, really, which was Brayflock's long stop hard. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Because it's overrun with the forces of the Illuminati. The furious goblin scholars are bent on recovering a secret recipe centuries in the making and a moment in the filching. Having been pressured into service as Brayflox's boon companion, you have no choice but to disregard the facts of her thievery and defend the Longstop from all those who would seize it from its rightful holder. And this is the real introduction, I think, of the Illuminati, which eventually would become really important during Heaven's Ward, uh, for it for the eight man stuff for the uh, whole uh, Alexander whatnot. I will say, for as much as I detest Brave Flock's Longstop, I like the hard version better. It definitely did not feel near as stressful to me. I liked both versions. Brave Flock's Longstop was where I learned that I could tank as a warrior during the 2.0 series. Uh, I can't currently, but I could at the time. It was a lot of fun. I will say I know the the last boss was the one where you had the big bombs. Yes. And you had to like blow them oh. away and everything. And that was that was fun. I enjoyed that mechanic and we definitely see it in other dungeons later. And this I thought was it was also, fun. <laughs> this was also the first bo- the first uh final boss that they put a minion on. That's right. This is where the Opa Opa came. Yeah, they the first time they put a minion that you had to win off of a, a a boss was at the end of this this dungeon, and oh my gosh, it was such I I I just I ran this thing so many times I can't even I can't even I'm just throwing my hands up in the air like I think this one I think this one was one of the most coveted minions until the red panda came out. Because then I think people did that dungeon as much. Because, I mean, I mean, so many of the dungeon minions are fun, they're cute, but I think those two were two of the most coveted dungeon minions that we had had. Well, and this was also, um, the other thing was, it was faster, it was faster to run the first two bosses of Bray Fox Longstop. Although, I, I never, I, I kept constantly getting into these parties that said, let's, let's just run the first two bosses of Bray Fox over and over and over again uh, for the what, whatever the special tomes were at the time. I think it was before Poetics. Poetics. I think it was before oh, Poetics even. What was before Poetics? Oh, I don't even know. But yeah, so this is how you got the weak... Uh, it was in theory you were supposed to run this over like just the first two bosses, then drop out of the dungeon, and then go in and and do it again because you could pull pretty much from the first uh from the first pull all the way to the first boss just in one go and and it took it took so much less time to do all of Brave Fox Longstop than it did to do everything else in the game that it was pretty much all people were running just because you could just in one sitting and I think it's where uh I think it's where the development team really learned what people like in terms of how long a dungeon should be. this I think they sort of set this as the gold standard for how they should start making their dungeons. And it was soldiery. Tombstones of soldiery. Soldiery. Yeah. I was trying to... There it is. Wow. And I also remember this being, at the time, the, quote, mark of a good raider, if you could, like, speed through this dungeon. Because we had some... uh company mates who would who would actually speed run this thing yeah that's what i was talking about well that were that where they where they started uh going through the entire dungeon but i uh. think like if you went through like the first two bosses fast enough uh, you could also like skip a, a section to go straight to the third boss or something i it's been well 
I, I never, I like I said, I never met a group that we would say we're just going to run the first two bosses, but then we'd run the first two bosses and we'd be like, eh, we'll just skip over to the third boss. It's fine. <laughs> like we always ran, ended up running the whole thing. <laughs> uh, but then in 2.3, I actually brought my, I think my, still my favorite dungeon out of all of them, which was Holebreaker Isle. Oh. And, and you can tell they cared about this one because this is the first time they uh, they actually did a real paragraph for its description where, you know, Und- upon the Rotano Sea, along the fringes of the island chain, known as uh, the Seal Dales, there stretches an expanse of water perpetually covered in heavy mist. Hidden within this impenetrable shroud is Hullbreaker Isle, so named for having smashed innumerable hapless vessels into flotsam over the centuries. In the wake of the calamity, however, it came to be that the mist the mist would lift under certain conditions. On one such day, a merchantman sailed into the area to behold not only the isle itself, but also the wreck of the Har, the flagship of the dread pirate Mistbeard. The discovery has rekindled interest in Mistbeard's legendary horde, and the treasure hunters the realm over are now scrambling to find passage to the elusive isle. And it really reminds me of the Goonies. Hullbreaker, that makes sense. Hullbreaker Isle was super fun. Uh, just the piratey, adventurous like tone that it that the music has it. It was just a whole lot of fun. They, I liked how open the first area was because you could actually skip a lot of the random mobs. But then you could also they also had like in the main path they had a bunch of bear traps, which you could get caught in or. If you scouted a little bit ahead, you could actually attack the enemy mobs, and as they come towards you, they would also get caught in damage by the bear traps. Uh, Holebreaker Isle was very mechanic-y. Like, all the boss fights, uh, all the the lead-up to it, everything, uh, even if you didn't have the greatest DPS, the greatest gear, as long as you did the mechanics, you would be okay. You would get through it. But you had to do the mechanics. Uh, even still, I see groups go into Hullbreaker Isle, like especially like if it's their first time and they don't know the mechanics, they can still have problems with it just because it's so important to do the mechanics. But again, if you do the mechanics, everything is pretty easy. I think I, that's kind of where I've had a problem because this this one is this one has a problem that I've I've had with other a lot of these other harder dungeons. Mm-hmm. where I've only done it a few times. It's usually with a pug. So if I get stuck on a fight, because I haven't gone through and like read the the strategy guides to that fight, if I get stuck, I assume that the mechanics are some weird, obscure, complicated thing. Like Kraken, yeah. I remember getting stuck on Kraken one time, and I'm not entirely sure what we did wrong. But because of that, like my instinct when I see this, like, Oh crap, that's the one with the crake. And this is going to be tough. I, I will never understand how that fight works. And usually I just clear it. So it's fine. <laughs> well, uh, gosh, I could take you and show you how to do it. Th- that really speaks more to, um, the importance of the importance of community in Final Fantasy 14. And, I have to say that's probably one of my biggest criticisms of the game is that a lot of times players just aren't patient enough to sit there and explain, okay, this is what's going to happen. This is what you need to do. When it's, that's really all it would take for a lot of new players to understand. Well, I don't know if anyone in the pug knew what was going on. Like, I think there was some attempt to do that. But especially if you're going in new to some of these things, it's hard to figure out where someone else screwed up because there's so much going on, especially like Kraken, you're jumping between islands and stuff like this. So it's, it's hard to have awareness of what everyone else in the group is doing. Yeah. Uh, like it's probably oh. a difference of uh, like, for example, when we were doing it, you know, <laughs> Doug and myself, we were, this was brand new and fresh. Yeah. So we were definitely part of the, okay, let's figure out what's going on. Okay, so that's how this works. Cool. 
And that happens with, you know, dungeons and stuff now. But now this is part of sort of like a segmented thing from back in the day. So there's a high chance that you could actually accidentally recreate that experience of everyone is kind of coming in blind because no one actually did it. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're not talking about it again, you, you assume like, well, we failed. Obviously, I must have been doing something wrong. And you, you might have been doing exactly what you needed to be doing. With that final Kraken fight, I got pretty militant. I used to get pretty militant with, like, random pugs that I would pick up in the day. I would encounter pugs that couldn't do it, and so I would make them sit out while I went and just soloed it myself. Because <laughs> one one person can do that fight. The whole group isn't necessary as long as one person is doing it right. Like, you, you just have to take down the arms and just drop the, the tornadoes somewhere else like away yeah, yeah that's okay. all there is to it okay that's what i that's what i figured but again with that failure there i was like this has got to be something that i just cannot comprehend like some well, galaxy brain thing well the the real problem is that people have a tendency to drop down to drop down their tornadoes on the same island and people get confused about which island should we be on when i said i was militant I would label every island. I would tell them emphatically which island to be on right now. <laughs> uh, and if they couldn't do it, then I'm, you know, sit out the next time and I'll just do it. That That is more emotionally involved than I want to get with a pickup group. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun back in its day. <laughs> like... Meanwhile, I know Anna's not a big fan of, of the Kraken. No. And then it comes back and Sestasha hard. I just... Can it go away? But I think we can all appreciate the required quest, King of the Hall. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good show. That Kraken ain't right. <laughs> so, uh, the less cool required quest of Blood for Stone, which was the Stone Vigil Hard. Which was, too long the stone vigil has been ravished by the Javanians and their thralls. Too long has House Durandair suffered this infamy. The time has come for its dragoons to retake the fortress. Ten hundred lances and a thousand dreams of vengeance strong. Through the Knights of Ishgard, though the Knights of Ishgard breach the gate to find logic within the vigil, the enemy is well defended and amply supplied. This deadlock must be broken, and who better than those who once made free of the fortress under the dragon's very noses and lived to tell the tale. Which this was us. This is the dungeon where no one knows how to do the second boss. Yep. I know how to do Every the second boss. Oh, I know, I know how to do it, but if you go in with a pug group, nine times out of ten, they don't know how to do it. Well, because well, like, it's got, like, the cannons in all four corners. Yeah, this yeah. is... And so, Instead of doing what you're supposed to do for the role, you have to use a uh, a weapon. It's just like, no, that's not what I've been learning this whole time. Yeah, like this is the first boss where you you can't solo this dungeon. I've are you no. maybe now as an eighty, but I don't think so because no, you, you can't go in and just pound that, on it. Yeah, because of that second boss, you have to have at least at least one other person who knows how to get on the cannon, and it, it's frustrating that even still. You still have to get on the cannons. You still can't just, like, overpower that boss. But I would say the first boss in the Stone Vigil, in the, in our return to Stone Vigil, is, the, is really the only one that's an actual measure of your functioning as a party. Because you have to do so many, like, chintzy mechanics for the for the second boss and for the final boss that it's just... The second boss is just, can you work, can you do all these little chintzy mechanics that are a thing, and the final one, and work as a group, and then the final one is, can you just pay attention to the monster, and... Uh, I hate those Like, that same monster pops up in so many fights, and no one ever remembers that he's not tankable, and to move out of his line of sight when he starts doing something. Because that one pops up in Nidhogg later, uh, and no just... one does it. And there's two of them in Stone Vigil, and, and and again, the fight is easy enough that a single white mage 
can handle it. A single black mage can handle it. Ugh. But it's kind of funny that they, a lot of these bosses were actually inspired uh, by the success of Monster Hunter in Japan, and they wanted to create things um, similar to it as 14 fights. And then later on, we would actually get an actual Monster Hunter collab with an actual Monster Hunter fight. And then I think the folks that, uh, the guy who worked on Monster Hunter World uh, and got that deal pushed through through with Yoshi P, I, I think might be the same guy they actually got in to do the combat for our Final Fantasy VII remake. Hmm. So it's, it is interesting. So the last dungeon uh, from the 2.3 series, the <laughs> other hard one is the, Tam- <laughs> the Tamtara Deepcroft hard i think this one along with wanderer's palace hard has some of the best and creepiest cutscenes. like it is worth it to turn cutscenes back on for those two dungeons alone so uh, as as a white mage because up until this point i was maining white mage pretty much all the time uh it was right before this patch where i think i had i had snapped like one of my many Bray Fox Longstop patches, like, I-, I had snapped and, like, somebody had, like, accused me of being a shit healer and I had gone off on them. <laughs> yet again. And now we have the Tamtara Deepcroft and I felt like this was the game just validating every feeling I had had ever inside. Be nice to your healers or they will go crazy. Or or they will take it super personally. <laughs> Well, this is this is admittedly, uh, um, I can't say the culmination because this plotline actually continues on past this dungeon. Yeah, in Palace of the Dead. But you know, this was the very beginning of uh, uh, that that band of adventurers we meet in the very beginning of the game, because the Tamtar Deepcross, one of those first few dungeons, where they give you this example party of how not to be a party. As a way of this is where toxic players. This is what this is where it leads, and, and this is sort of continuing on that little plot thread. So the description for this one was: when the guiding light of one's life is extinguished, it takes the uncommon strength of spirit to clamor out of the black pits of despair. Those who want for resilience may yet be pulled up by a friend's helping hand. But what becomes a broken-hearted maiden who has neither the strength nor the succor to overcome the darkness that threatens to consume her? The answer shall be revealed through the tragic tale that begins with the arrival of a single letter. Again, be, be nice to your healers. It's, it's very important. You, you, you never know when. Well, I don't want to say things because for all I know is I know we've got some folks, uh, at very least not, not just new to the podcast, but new to the free company who are who are still playing through the game, so I really don't want to go into too much depth. But man, th- this dungeon is definitely one of the ones to be playing. And then I think this might be Anna's favorite uh, dungeon, or at least up there, uh, which was one of the patch uh, the uh, dungeons introduced in patch 2.4 uh, from the required quest, The Path of the Righteous, Snowcloak. Yeah, I don't know why. I always am pretty fine with this dungeon. It's... Oh, I did get in there the other day, though, and had to teach them about the yeti fight because i realized halfway through the the tank was they were specifically facing the boss away from the spriggans and the one snowball that they found they hit it at the yeti just randomly and i was like no don't do that it it took a while yeah this is this is another that's another boss fight where i've had like one bad pug experience where no one was doing what they were supposed to. So every time I do that fight, I'm like, this is going to be bad. We all have to be on our toes because we have to make sure we're managing the ads and the snowballs and all that. And I've never had another problem since then, but that's always what I think when I start going into it. Snowcloak is an icy, beautiful wonderland. Uh, it's really gorgeous from just the aesthetic appeal of it, but I have to admit, after I ran it so many times, so often, with so many people, that I fall asleep when I run it now. Oh, yeah. I mean, like... The music's also very soft and gentle. Yes. 
Yes, just everything about it is just very soft and gentle. Like, and so even if e even if the tank is like, I'm gonna run and do like whole room pulls and, and pull everything onto me, and you just better keep up and heal, healer. Even still, I'm like yawn. I'm gonna go to sleep. <laughs> Cause it's just. Now, for for me, this dungeon does have, like, special, like, meanings for me, because, you know, around this time, this actually, I think this came out sort of around either the fall or winter time, or at least it, I remember it feeling that. So, mm -hmm. like, the temperatures just outside were a little bit cooler. I believe this was around, also around the same time that, you know, uh, at the now Anna and I are married, but at the time we, we, we had, I think, just recently... Uh, gotten engaged and we had moved in together. Uh, we I had we had bought a couple of uh, fancy candles that happened to smell uh, Christmassy, and I think this is one of the first dungeons uh, that we actually did like in the same room when the patch hit. And I remember the fancy like nice blue candle that had like this the the you know just I just remember everything about the time when Snow Cloak hit. And it was a, it was a Aww. good time in our life, and and so I this also does have a warm place in my heart, which also does not help the the calmness and the serenity <laughs> it is of, of the dungeon. It'll put you to sleep. It will put you right to sleep. But that's okay, because Satasha Hard is gonna <laughs> wake you right up. Doesn't go this die dungeon. in a fire. I hate, I hate both Sustashas. <laughs> I love Fucking this Kraken dungeon. comes back. I don't want it. Go away. Look, it's it's always a good time. Although, I, I did forget my bad people. Uh, Snowcloak is formed in the aftermath of the Calamity. The Great Ice Wall has long been thought an impenetrable bear. Impenetrable. Impen, a really hard barrier to get through between Central and Western Curthus. In truth, however, the wall is riddled with hidden tunnels, which Iceheart and her followers have used as a base of operations. You have been tasked with exploring one such tunnel in the hopes that it will lead you to the heretic's leader, yet what dangers await are anyone's guess. That's also the trick of that's also a Shiva dungeon with Iceheart Yasail and stuff that introduced us, that got us into Heaven's Ward, which I think because of the whole Shiva connection also Helped with Anna. So anyways, back to Satasha Hard. Tucked deep inside the dank caverns of the Satasha Seagrot, there is a secret port said to have been built by the pirate Mistbeard. In the years following the Calamity, the notorious Serpent Reavers claimed it as their lair until the Cutthroats were vanquished by a band of dauntless adventurers. The place of subsequent... Recently came under the control of Lamentian authorities, who maintained a security presence within. Alas, that control did not last, for an unknown faction has arisen, seemingly from the briny depths, and overwhelmed the occupying yellow jackets. Opinion is divided over the identity of these foes. Some say they are pirates, while others swear that they are fiends. Yet it does not take a scholar to see that these two things need not be mutually Exclusive. With required quest, it's definitely pirates. Yeah, that, and like you guys were saying about Kraken, that's one, like, I don't hate that fight, but there's so much going on. Like, you've got a bunch of arm ads that you have to deal with. Um, well, you've got ink that gives blindness. Like, I'm never sure, based on what role I'm doing, which of those I need to ignore and which of those I need to target. Well, these days, the way to do it is to just everybody cram into one of the corners, uh, in in the corners, uh, at the edge of where the border is for his AOE attack, and just ignore it and just power through it. Uh, that was not an option back in the day, but it is now, and so you should take advantage of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's pretty much what I do. Like, what. You know, I just keep attacking Kraken and eventually we burn him down. But yeah, it always feels like there's more going on and like, I should be doing this right. But I don't, I don't necessarily hate it because it's usually pretty easy. I remember yeah. when we were doing the boss battle with the captain 
and he would keep bringing in more and more ads. It was one of the few times that as a summoner, or, you know, similarly would be as a black mage, you actually had a reason that you got to use the big AoE limit break. And yes. that was always fun to be able to actually do it and not just leave it to another melee. Uh, I don't yeah. know. Satasha Hard was where I learned that Holy is the biggest dick. Like, oh, well, don't forget like that that Scorpion fight that was a, a, another the last huge or the latest in healer checks at the time. Oh, was it? Was that even a heal? Yeah, it was a healer check, wasn't oh, it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, because it had that it had that one attack that would kill anybody. Well, I was just always so good at that fight that uh, it never even occurred to me that it was a healer check. Like, people would tell me it was a healer check later, and I would have to be like, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I feel like I came in, like you guys were saying, so geared up later on that I I didn't realize any of these were healer checks, and that's what I would have been running. Well, uh... The reason it was a healer check was not for the normal reason that it's a, that's a healer check. Normally when this game says, oh, it's a healer check, what it means is that you have to keep everybody up to... It, it, there's a mechanic where it wants you to top everybody off up to full health. In Satasha, it doesn't, there, there isn't a mechanic like that. It, it's simply because there can be a debuff, because there's like a poison debuff that can stack... You have to manage your priorities for do you go ahead and take that off uh, or do you go ahead and heal heal the tank? Because shortly after that debuff goes on, uh, there is a tank buster that, you know, it, it'll reduce the tank down to one. And then if the tank also has that debuff on it, it'll tick down. But if you simply know how to manage Esna and healing and how to balance that, you're fine. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense, because usually it's like, as soon as I see debuffs, I start assuming... Well, and now it's extra, or now it's easier to even know, because you have the little uh, bar above the abilities that you know that you are debuffs that you can, Asuna. Yeah. yeah. At the time, you didn't have that. So I, I remember that, and I remember, like, having to, you know, if I don't remember, I might as well just cast it. And see. So, and then the other major uh, 2.4 dungeon was the Sunken Temple of Karn Hard. <laughs> from, with the required quest, the Wrath of Karn. I kind of love this dungeon. Uh, I kind of hate this dungeon. Why do you love all the dungeons I hate and hate all the dungeons I love? Because that's why we're friends. Opposites attract. <laughs> I also think it may be because you're the tank and I'm the healer. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. I think that might be a small part of it. (laughs) Well, I, again, I just love the whole aesthetic of Karn just in general, because usually it's a, uh, an uncharted, you know, Indiana Jones, you know, Lara Croftian, you know, adventure in a tomb and you're placing statues and light beams shooting out and unlocking things and, and all sorts of just like, adventure stuff. I was going to say, this one, the, the two things I remember are the, I think the second boss is the Sabatender Imperatrice. Yeah. Because yeah. I was doing that when I was either either leveling a bard or dancer, and that's a DPS check. Like, he'll spawn an yes. ad, and if you don't get that ad down, you will die. And, and a lot of DPS don't realize that it's a DPS check. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's not obvious because it's not the only ad that he spawns. The, yeah. The other one I really like though is the um the final boss is the vice regent to the warden. And I love that boss. Yeah, he spawns like these mummy line attacks where a bunch of coffins will raise up, they'll send mummies out across, and you you're pretty much dead if you get caught more than a few times but it's it's really well telegraphed so as long as you're you're paying attention you've got time to react it's not going to screw you over but yeah so for this one's description was adventurers fear not danger scholars care not for comfort and miners like not unturned stones 
Thus was born the unlikely partnership between the Order of Nodfall and the Amalgian Sun's Middle Concern. In the wake of a certain adventurous conquest of the sunken temple's notorious traps. But the dread of Karn left many snares, more than enough for a thousand years of greed, and now a Tomb Raider's fevered dream of riches has stranded the joint expedition in a place where history has a tendency to come alive. I I do remember that this is like the uh, the Ann Sons part of the Mill Concern. Uh, their sister has gone off to get this thing taken care of and she's gone missing and they're both freaking out that their sister's gone missing so they've hired you to to go find her and then she comes back and yells at them for being worried and i was like ah silly brothers so then we come to the last set of arr dungeons for patch 2.5 and this was a major major one because it was the keeper of the lake f this dungeon at this dungeon with a bag of hose. Why? I I mean, theoretically, you could, that could be also a lot of fun. <laughs> it's so, long, is why. It's long. Okay, I'll give you that. I do there's really no- love... Oh, go ahead. There's nothing really special about it until the final, final boss. And then that's so special that if the people don't know how to do it right, you can end up wiping a whole bunch. Yeah, I actually like it, though. I mean, it's it's not hard to communicate what all is happening. Um, I actually know what all is happening, so I guess that, that is a benefit. But um, it's like the mechanics are really good. Things are telegraphed really early. It, it, it feels really satisfying to beat it, even if you know how it's done. I I got tired of it. Like... This is another one where I fall asleep during when I'm playing it. Like I hate healing it. I, well, I think to be I, fair, we ran it a lot when it came out. Yeah, up. that would do it. I think this is where I shifted from maining as a white mage so much, and I started shifting into being a black mage just because there were just so few DPS who were good and could get it done. That you know, I I could generally trust somebody to like put regen on but i can't trust them to like do enough damage to the boss to get it down was my general problem with this i i I think this dungeon is is interesting i i think for a lot of folks it is a major major moment when you get to this dungeon uh because this is you know in the where the uh oh that freaking that's right the argrius uh, crashes. So this was, so the description actually really sets it pretty well. 15 years ago, in the skies above Silver, Silver Tear Falls, the, the, the invading forces of the 14th Legion were set upon a, a host of dragons. Leading the charge was Midgard Somer, legendary King of Kings, who engaged the Garlean flagship, the Argrius, in battle. In the end, both Midgard Somer and his foe fell to the earth, and their tangled remnants stand as a memorial to that day, a ruined ship, and the charred corpse of the Worm Lord, who brought it low, forever devoid of life. Because this is also the moment that technically kicks off Final Fantasy XIV. This is the moment where Midgard Somer and the Argrius fall, and they crash into this area that technically, I think, is what unfurls like a crap ton of aether and whatnot and this is the moment that that uh that sort of pre-calamity that sort of started uh the whole issues of 14 happening i I think it like set like the primals free or something like that or enough aether where they could start summoning primals again this this is uh this is the location of sort of the the founding of the mmo at least in the 1.0 era i think this is sort of like the the prelude to the eventual, um, you know, fall of Dalamud. And so for a lot of folks to be able to come back to this location, uh, to see chunks of the Argrius and honestly fight Midgard, uh, the, the ghost of Midgard summer, like it, the whole thing is just like, you know, it's, it's definitely, I can see why it's the major last major storyline dungeon of ARR before we move on into heaven's word. But also because it's the last major storyline dungeon, 
it was also one of the few dungeons we kept running over and over again to make sure that all our characters were ready to start Heaven's Ward so I could see it having issues playing it multiple times. Well, it is story-wise, it is where things do kind of come full circle back to 1.0. You, you know, you, you are right that, that story-wise, it's a very important dungeon. Um, Like, like yeah, it's one of the dungeons that you should turn back on your your cutscenes. But yeah, it's tiresome. <laughs> it's long well, and tiresome. <laughs> I, I think now, for those players who are now getting to it, I think uh-huh. is now is a great time for it because it's a level 50 dungeon. You'll do it for the storyline. Then after that, you're not going to see it nearly as often as we did. <laughs> yeah. And that's probably why I don't hate it as much. Cause like I said, before heaven's word was really when I was getting into the game in general. So like I did this and forgot about it until I started hitting it in roulettes a bunch but that's okay, because we also have the other two hard mode dungeons. And for the acquired quest, not easy being green, we have the Wondrous Palace hard. So if you like them Tomberries, guess what? They're back. Turn Yay. on your cutscenes when you go into this dungeon. It the- has the best ending cutscene ever. Well, it's true, because this one sort of turns itself on its head, because the first Wondrous Palace was constantly running away and fighting Tom Berries. Now you're rescuing Tom Berries because you find out that Tom Berries in 14 are in fact not all that bad at this point. So the description is, Bound no more by the rancor of their fallen king, the Tom Berries have regained their senses with a little help from devoted friends, a.k.a. us. Yet all <laughs> thoughts of peace have been put to the blade as a band of Mamulja mercenaries, known as the Silver Scales, have stormed the walls and seized the place for their own. Someone must stop the Sellswords from turning the Wanderer's Palace into an unsaleable fortress and take a stand against Tonberry slaughter and slavery. Poor Tonberries. I mean, they already have it so rough. Yeah, yeah. I, again, I think and, we mentioned it before. Why, but... would you, why would you enslave Tonberries? That doesn't even make any sense. Probably because they're there. They they existed and they have those really 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 sharp knives and they can poke you real good with them. Yeah, but but they're basically like they're basically dying already. Yeah, it's it's definitely a thing. And also make sure if you have any interest in playing a scholar, the scholar storyline, especially in the early levels, like the level the level fifty stuff, is is very very good and very very apt and important for things like the Wanderer's Palace to make sense. That's right. I just finished like leveling my scholar past that. I remember it starts getting into it. Most of those quests start out around that area, but I I did forget that it starts uh, referencing Tonberries later on. And as uh, I found this interesting, I didn't realize it at first until I started doing research for these past couple podcasts, but both 2.0 2.0 and now in patch 2.5, 2.5 actually ends in Ampador Keep. In this mm-hmm. particular case, Ampador Keep hard. I liked this one a lot more than the regular Ampador Keep. I really like the hard version a lot. I'm trying to remember the hard version versus the original uh, the version. First, the first boss is where you had sort of the Odin type boss and you would have to hide behind the the statues and then this the I don't remember oh, I don't remember the second boss, but then you had the the sort of big DPS check where you had to kill all of the mobs before the demon walls closed in on you, and then the last boss was the uh jester. Ferdad. Ferdad. Ferdad, yes. Oh yeah. Oh, I've yeah. only done this a few times, I think. Like, I really um, like I, it. I think the second boss is Boogeyman. He goes invisible. Yeah. I've never yes. had a yes. Yes. I've never had a problem with it, but I could not tell you how it actually works. Yeah, well, like a lot of people don't realize there's that orb you have to kill, but you have to kill the orb when he goes invisible, and you have to stand near the orb because after, like a few couple seconds after you kill it, it emits like a, an AOE, and if you're standing in that, you get 
um, a buff, and then you'll run close to where the invisible boss is, and then F when your buff timer counts down, you explode with light, and it makes the boss visible again. And that okay. was always fun. The only bad thing was the second time he goes invisible, a lot of people go to the orb, but there's also ads that pop up, and you have to kill the ads before you do that. Or you can just let the light mage, like, holy them to death, and it's That's fine. True. <laughs> yeah, this is a case of... Uh, it's it's you know especially with the game doing a really good job of making sure that you have the gear you need to continue on into Heaven's Ward. By this point, when you're actually doing this stuff, you usually have pretty decent gear, and you can kind of brute force a lot more than you could back in the day. So, the discussion... I, I could always just white mate. I could always just holy the DP, the ads down myself. It was fine. Well, yeah, because you're very <laughs> good at that. <laughs> Again, this is another dungeon where uh, most of the time my problem was that the DPS couldn't DPS as fast as I could. There, I can't tell you how many times I've been in this dungeon and I did more DPS as the White Mage than they did as DPS classes. But yeah, so this was once again the uh, the Void Scent kind of ran um, ransacked place because it was a uh, here. Here's the description. There it is. Through the purging, though, sorry, not through, though purging the lands of Dalamud brought a hard-earned peace upon to Ampador Keep. Some, some mysterious fiend has completed the cultist rites and ushered shadows back into the ruins. Voidsit have now revel anew within these walls, their wicked warping of the flora and transforming the kindly woodland creatures into bloodthirsty beasts. For sake of the Twelveswood and the elementals who keep watch over it, you must cleanse the evil from the keep and sweep away all traces of the cultists. Because Ferdinand is a jerk and he hangs out with Diablos and they both suck and they both need to go away. Well, I mean, you saw the guy that Ferdinand's daughter tried to run off with, right? Like, I mean, that's just awful. Like, I would be mad too. And he's got that crazy laugh and yeah. <laughs> I do not remember this, so I am not getting the reference. Oh, oh there's, some, there's some Irish myth going on along yeah, there's, with this. <laughs> that's, actually oh, okay. a, that's actually not a 14 reference at all. That's I was like, oh, this is obviously... actual Irish mythology. <laughs> okay, I was like, oh, this is obviously a cutscene I skipped somewhere. Ah, I feel like I should know this. And like, no, oh, no, in actual Irish mythology, uh, his daughter tries to run away with Ku and and in Final Fantasy fourteen, Ku Cullen is the first one of those terrible tentacle monsters where the tentacles are backwards and it's awful. Which is in the world of darkness, I believe. And so it's a bunch of void scent, much like Ferdinad or Ferdiad. No, no, it's it's on the um it, it it's on the flying the Dune's flying That's right. That's right. It's on. It's on. It's in the flying ship, which which still is um, full of void scent, but that is from the uh, Heaven's Ward raid series that you know ends with Diablos and once again for Dad. Yeah. But yeah, it was in the uh, uh, Void Arc. Yeah. But that that's a that's a that's a later podcast. Like we'll <laughs> we'll, we'll do that raid series as its own thing. But that has been all the dungeons of now a realm reborn. Since we we didn't have you for the first set, are there any, uh, Doug, uh, from the first set, were there any dungeons you actually wanted to, to mention as, as highlights from the first set? I can't even remember. I can't even remember. It's okay. I mean, like, he's done a good job, like, so seeing with some of the hard ones, he's mentioned some from that previous that I think would, would qualify. Like, I don't remember. But I know you mentioned a few from before, so I think that would be good. Or that is good. So from this set that we've talked about, like I said, I've mentioned that mine is, is very much uh Hullbreaker. I love Hullbreaker so much. What what, what out of this set, what was which is y'all's favorites? Velocity of Amidpore. Probably I'm gonna say Wander's Palace Hard just for the cutscene. I think I'm gonna say Keeper of the Lake for the final boss. I, I, I will as a also another moment, I really love the moment for uh a Satasha Hard. Uh, the fact that when you lower the water level, like, I remember that <laughs> oh, moment, right. and, like, it felt really, really JRPG-y to me, w watching yeah. all the water levels lower. I'm like, oh, man, 
I, I felt like you know something I've done all the time in, in games like Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest and Luffy and the Fortress. Yeah, it, it was it was a great moment. But all right, thank y'all very much for talking with me about these dungeons, y'all. It was glad, very good to have y'all back on the microphones. Good to be back. And we've yep. got some big stuff coming up in the next few weeks. It's true. I think in between this episode and probably next episode uh, will be the next live letter or a letter yep. from producer live. July twenty second. Well, they'll be talking more about uh, the next major big patch five point three long, long in the making. So we'll definitely be talking about that for the next episode. And I think the episode after that will actually be after the patch comes out. Yep. So. The next episode will be the patch five point three comes out August eleventh and. Yeah, the episode after that can be us talking about it. So there is exciting new stuff on, on on the horizon. As always, this episode is a production of the Awesome Cast, your podcast for everything awesome. And this is, of course, the Carbuckle Chronicle, your, your podcast for everything awesome in Final Fantasy fourteen. Our theme song was rearranged by Anna. Also, the show is edited by Anna. The original theme song was done by DJ Inabito. You can find us on the server Leviathan. In the free company of Odin Spear, total welcomes to both Tobias and Tori who recently joined up. I hope you all are having fun playing through the uh, the beginnings of the game. I know Tobias is taking his sweet time, and man, enjoy it. Just enjoy this game, savor it, take your time with it. It's a fine wine at this point. Don't. I feel so bad through. that they're working on 2.0 right now, and it's going to be getting a huge rehaul in just like a m- less than a month. Well, yeah. I mean, the huge rehaul is for the pat is for a lot of the storyline bits from you know the end of two point into Heaven's Ward. So if they take their time and play their cards right, they'll never even know. Yeah, I know. I know when I first started again, since I was I was so far after everyone else, I remember just like gotta get through, gotta get gotta get leveled up, gotta get up to where everyone else is, so I can I can do dungeons. And man, like once once they get in get ARR in new game plus, I will probably want to go back and play that to figure out what was going on. Yeah. It was like, man, I, cause you only get to play through the game the first time once. Yeah. And early on, they throw a lot of characters and stuff at you, like a lot of lore at you. And now that, now that I'm a little more invested in some of these places and these characters, it would be nice to go back and like really, play through it and figure out what was like what I missed. But like I said before, if you all like the show, please go find the awesome cast on your various podcatchers and places that you can grab these things from like Spotify and Apple podcasts or whatever. And give us, give us some good reviews. We could, we could really use them. It really helps other people find the show so they can tell other folks. And that would be very, very nice. Of course, we also do have our Patreon. Uh, we basically, um, we're now up to four patrons, which is amazing. Yay! Uh, which I'm sure we'll, I'll, I'll cover more of that, you know, in the next actual awesome cast proper. But again, thank you for everyone supporting the show. You can find myself on Twitter at It's Basil Time. Dylan, I believe it's, is it Dylan Wolf? Yes. I know, Anna's Angel Darkfire, but the uh, second A is missing. You can't find me. I'm a mystery. I don't exist. Except, Except on Redbubble Red with the Mitsu. Yeah. Thank you everyone listening and we'll see you next time. <laughs>